0: This is HPR episode 1742 entitled, How to Get Yourself on an Open Source Podcast, Presentation for Canvas Linux Fest, 22 March 2015. It is hosted by 5150 and is about 30 minutes long. The summary is, re-recording of a presentation for KLF that went unrecorded.
1: This episode of HPR is brought to you by an honest host.com
0: Howdy folks, this is 5150 for Hacker Public Radio. What you are about to hear is a presentation titled How to Get Yourself on an Open Source Podcast that I first delivered at Kansas Linux Fest on 22 March 2015. Since it was not recorded, I was told the SD card on the camera was full, there has been interest expressed by my follow pa- podcasters. I thought it might be worth re-recording. I'm afraid Mike Dupont was not satisfied with any of the video from KLF 2015. This may be the only talk from that event that you get to hear. However, show notes from the other talks are extensive and can be found at lanyardcom slash 2015 slash KLF15 slash schedule. All I can tell you is three out of the four audience members that showed up seemed to enjoy my presentation. I shall deliver the rest of this podcast as if you general general listeners were my live audience. But before I do that, I have to tell you, I did record this the other night, and I was kind of in my boozy mode, and I'm not sure I gave the best presentation. I may well wake up in the morning and listen to this and decide it's not good enough either. But if you're hearing this, I guess I decided... It was good enough to put out on HPR. Before I go ahead, I've decided with the amount of beers stacking up in my refrigerator, I'm going to do even my serious podcast as a uh, beer review in the spirit of Sourcecast, the, the long and lamented and gone Sourcecast. So tonight I want to bring you a Culto which I could not resist because on the label you have a skull right out of Day of the Dead, and it is described as blue agave infused with beer blended and aged on tequila's barrel stave staves. staves. A 6.0 alcohol by volume. So see, it's kind of got. It's very very watery. It's kind of got a melonish flavor to me it takes several sips out of the bottle before becomes sweet with the agave of course agave is the plant that tequila is derived from however if you're familiar with spanish food there are some uh, agave based sweeteners and i had some i had some agave syrup and tried it and at, at length i discovered that uh, I, well, I coordinated every time I tried the agave and anything that the next day I had a very unsettled stomach. So I, I'm drinking this beer kind of sparingly. But like I said, it, it, it would be, it, it's very watery, so it would be very thirst-quenching on a hot day. And if you get about halfway down through the beer, it's got sort of a sweet flavor. I'm not sure how else to describe it. I'm not, I'm not a big fan. I wouldn't buy this again. Uh, but that's, that's why I'm here to instruct you folks on what you might or may not like. Another beer I tried this week was from, uh, Red's Apple Ale. It's their mango version. And like the earlier strawberry version, they're not fooling anybody. It's, it's made of apples. Come on. You can taste that. But there is a sweetness and a tartness that have been added afterwards. I'm not sure if that's actually from mango juice or if it's from artificial sweeteners. I had this candy a couple years ago. It was kind of like gummy bears and various fruit flavors. And I looked at the label and on ingredients, essentially, everything was artificial. And it was just how they balanced out corn syrup versus... Citric acid in each various flavor. So I guess any kind of fruit can be simulated by chemicals. But as far as the beer goes, I mean, if you if you like the reds ale, I think you'll really like the uh, the mango version. It goes down smooth and good, and it's tasty and it's sweet. I you know I can't really complain. It just all seems a little artificial. Okay. Now comes on from a couple that just recently appeared from the Kona Brewing Company from Hawaii. And the first one is the uh, Big Wave Golden Ale. I'm not a particular fan of that either. It's, you know, you can tell it's an ale. That's about all it doesn't really stand out from For the same price, I could recommend several dozen beers that I prefer. So, you know, I I can't really recommend the Canoe Brewing Company's Big Wave. Now, on the other hand, it's not great, but it's not bad. Kanoa Brewing Company's Longboard Island Lager. And it's a little sweet. You know, it doesn't have a lot of flavor, but it's a little sweet. A little bready, and what I would say, if you wanted a liquid version of the Sweet King's Rolls from Hawaii, this would be it. So if you ever wanted to do that, then grab Longboard from the Canola Brewing Company, Island Lager. Okay, well, that dispenses with nearly a six-pack of beers for this broadcast so let us get into the meat of what I wanted to talk about and as I said the rest of this podcast will be presented as if you were my audience at Kansas Linux Fest 2015 because the SD card on the camera that was provided was full and I'm obviously an idiot because I had the HPR's uh, Zoom H1 in my pocket. And why I did not take it out, start it up, and start recording on the desk in front of me, I do not know. That just only occurred to me this week. So I'm afraid you'll have to bear with the recycled rendition that I'm doing here for my desktop. So let's start off. Howdy folks. My name is Don Greer. I'm an IT consultant and farmer from South Central Kansas. I am also a podcaster. You may recognize my voice from such podcasts as Hacker Public Radio, the Kernel Panic Oddcast, or the Linux Lugcast. ...where I used the handle 5150. When fellow Hacker Public Radio host Mike Tupont told me KLF would be a reality, I struggled to find a topic that I knew well enough to talk about. It was almost in jest that I said I could talk about how to get yourself on an open source podcast... Actually, since that was as far as my proposal went, I was shocked and honored to find myself on the same roster with so many other speakers with impressive credentials and technical topics. This afternoon, I hope not only to chronicle my personal history with Linux and open source related podcasts. But to show you why I believe podcasting can be as an important part of giving back to the community as contributing code, or documentation, or even cash. Linux podcasts bind the community by providing education, both as basic as Linux Reality or as specific as GNU World Order. Podcasts announce new innovations and tell us of free and open source software adoption as well as opposition by corporations and governments. Podcasts herald community events like this one and provide a little humor at the end of a long day some of you may wonder why I'm using old-school technology to organize my notes at a high-tech conference at this point if 5150 holds up several stapled sheets of paper in large print and weighs them around the plain and simple truth is that I can't read my phone or tablet with my glasses on and I'm already using bifocals It just seems that every time I get new glasses, the lower lenses work for about two weeks, and then I have to take them off to see the phone again. But this last time, I figured I'd outsmart the system and just order single-focus lenses. And I was congratulating myself on my thriftiness when I put my new glasses on, sat down at the computer, and realized I couldn't read the keyboard before I talk about myself as a podcaster I think I should tell you my history of Linux my first experience with Linux was a box set of Mandrake 7.2 around 2002 I always maintained at least a second running system in the house in case the primary machine coughs up a hairball so I'd be able to access the internet and figure out what's wrong I'd always been a geek to alternative OSs, and I wanted a tertiary machine on my network that wouldn't be affected by the propagation of Windows viruses. Now, I, I installed the Mandrake easily enough, but there wasn't much flash to Linux apps in those days. I recall I was not impressed by whichever browser, shi- browser shipped with Mandrake. I don't recall what I knew about installing additional applications from repositories, but in any case at that time I was still on (laughs) dial-up. The Pentium 1 that I installed Mandrake on had both the modem and the Ethernet card. The installer always asked which one I used to reach the Internet and would only set up one of the two devices. This annoyed me as I would planned to use the Lynx box as a gateway to see if that would save a few CPU cycles from the P4 I was using as a Windows gaming machine back then. I really wouldn't have known where to go on the Internet for help, and I expect help would not have been as forced coming coming 13 years ago. (laughs) My next experience with Linux came around 2007. The school I consulted for had several Windows 98 machines not compatible with the software they wanted to run. Even though the machines were Pentium 4s, we determined the cost of XP plus memory upgrades could be better applied to new machines. As a result, I was able to bring several of the machines home. Over time, I boosted their memory with used sticks from eBay and even the odd faster processor. As a noob, I installed Feisty Fawn on a system out in the machine shed and spent a lot of that winter hacking on that box when I should have been overhauling tractors. Just as I was delving into NDIS wrappers, Gutsy came along and brought support for my gigabyte wireless card, which combined with the double fork isolating power box gave me reasonable certainty that the box out in the shed was safe from lightning storms. About six months later, I rescued a refugee from a major meteorological event and set it up in my house running mint. For the first time, I didn't have to leave the house to get my Linux on. Just before I set up that first Linux box, we finally got broadband out to the farm and I discovered podcasts. I figured there must be Linux podcasts to go along with the general tech and computing podcasts I followed, as well as a fondly remembered sci-fi weekly review show that started out as a Sunday afternoon show on Wichita radio, which was canceled twice and then reemerged as a semi-weekly podcast, only to disappear forever a couple months after I started listening again. But not before I downloaded all the episodes that I'd missed. In my initial search for linux related content, all I came up with were four drunk Scots discussing minutiae of Ruby on Rails. While I really liked the format, I lacked the commitment to become a Ruby programmer just so I could understand the show. A few days after that, I came across the Techie Geek. Russ Winter mixed tutorials with reviews of new applications and upcoming events. Better yet, he introduced me to a world of other Linux podcasts. Through the Techie Geek, I learned of the irreverent banter of the Linux outlaws, the subdued serious studiousness of what was then called the bad apples, the contained chaos of the Linux cranks. Classroom like atmosphere of the Linux basement during Chad's Drupal tutorial period, tech hints and movie reviews delivered at the speed of 75 miles per hour by Dave Yates of Lotta Linux Links, the auditory dissonance of the Linux Link tech show, and the constant daily variety of Hacker Public Radio. In 2010, I made my first contribution to Hacker Public Radio. The great thing about HPR is there's no vetting process. We only ask your audio to be intelligible, not polished, not even good. We just have to be able to understand you and let the topic be of interest to geeks. If you consider yourself a geek... Any topic that interests you is welcome. There is no maximum or minimum runtime, just to get the sh- get the show uploaded on time. While topics tend to concern open source, this is not a requirement. I believe my second HPR concerned how to migrate Windows wireless connection profiles between systems. I'd spent a few hours figuring out one day for a customer and I thought I should consolidate what I'd learned in one place. HPR provides a podcasting platform at no cost to the podcaster. It serves as both a venue for broadcasters without the resources to host their own site or without the time to commit to a regular schedule. It can also serve as an incubator for hosts trying to find their own audience. It's never been easier to become a podcaster with HPR. I would start with an email introduction as a courtesy to admin at hackerpublicradio.org. Next, record your audio. When you have a file ready to upload, select an open slot in the calendar page and follow the instructions. Be prepared to paste in your show notes. I also credit HPR for getting me my first invite to participate in my first podcast with multiple hosts. Once a month, Hacker Public Radio records a community news podcast recorded on the first Saturday afternoon after the end of the previous months. Exact times and server details will be published in a newsletter. All HPR hosts and indeed listeners are invited to participate. It is just asked that you have listened to most of the past month's shows so you can participate in the discussion. Like many multi-host audio podcasts, HPR uses Mumble to record shows, including the annual New Year's Eve show, which has dozens of participants. There's a Mumble Tutorial on linuxludcast.com to help you get started. A few months after recording my first Hacker Public Radio podcast, I started to take part in the community news. I did it because I wanted to take a greater part in HPR, not because I considered it an audition but it is a good way to show other people that you can politely and intelligently participate in a group discussion. Actually, I still have a tendency to wander off into tangents and and unintentionally dominate the topic, something that I always struggle with. Another way to join in a roundtable discussion in HPR is to participate in the Hacker Public Radio Book Club. Once a month, we take an audio book that is freely available on the internet and share our opinions. Recording schedules and the next book to re- be reviewed are available in the HPR newsletter. I believe taking part in one or more community news with Patrick Daly, also known as Pokey, influenced him to invite me into the cast of Dev Random. The semi-weekly dev random recorded on the Saturdays, Colonel Panic, didn't. We sometimes accidentally talked about tech and open source, but we always saved the most disturbing things we'd seen on the Internet in the previous two weeks for discussion on the show. Things that honestly could not be discussed on other podcasts. Despite rumors to the contrary, Dev Random is not dead, only resting, and shall one day rise again to shock and disgust new disgust new generations of listeners. Sometimes you just have to be in the right place at the right time. I won't insult the Colonel Panic Odcast by calling it a sister show to Dev Random. It just happens to be recorded on opposite Saturdays and had some of the same cast members in common. Anyway, I've been participating in the KPO forum for a while, suggesting topics from FOSS stories I come across in social media during the week. I was idling in Planet on Freenode one day when Peter Cross asked for people from the channel to jump into the show on a day when only a couple of the regular cast members had shown up. Since they have random used the same Mumble server, I used my existing credentials to take Peter up on his offer, and for better or worse, I've been a KPO cast member ever since. While we're on the topic, having a presence on Freenode IRC is a great way to get your name or handle known in the podcasting world. Many podcasts have their own channels set up so that listeners might participate during live streaming podcasts, saying something helpful, or more likely smart-alecky, during the podcast might get you mentioned on the show and make your name familiar to the show's audience. I've seen several individuals move from regular forum or chat participants to the hosts of their own show or contributors to HPR. From my own experience, after spending several weeks as silent participants in pod brewers listening to the stream and commenting in the chat... Red Dwarf and myself were invited to bring our own beers and join the cast. While many podcasts still have their own IRC channels, other than providing a conduit between the hosts, they are most active during live broadcasts. Between shows, many of the podcasters I listen to gravitate to hanging around in Freenode's hash-odcast-planet channel. Since podcasters typically have a client open during week and leisure hours, uh, you, you'll usually find them hanging around. In fact, at KPO, we use Hashogcast Planet as our primary communications channel during live streaming. I still recall the day Monster B and Peter64 asked me about the origin of my handle, given its similarity to their colleague, 330. I'd heard both these gentlemen on podcasts I followed, and frankly, that evening I felt like I was talking to rock stars. Now that I'm a podcaster in my own right, with my own presence on Hashogcast Planet. I try to make a point to say hello when I see an unfamiliar handle in the channel. I expect the Sam- spam bots consider me the nicest guy in IRC. As it happens, IRC was also responsible for my involvement in the Linux slugcast. LLC was conceived after a reimagining and final demise of Steve McLaughlin's project Linux Basics. Kevin Wisher, Chatter, and Hunky Magoo wanted to do a show along the same lines while incorporating the spirit of the unrecorded online lug that always preceded Linux Basics on the Mumble server. I was brought along by the simple expediency of never having closed the hash Linux Basics channel in my chat client. We've been going for a little more than a year, and have attracted a following, but frankly, we have not found the listener participation we were looking for. This was meant to be a true online lug for people who couldn't travel to a local Linux users group. So far, it's usually been the same four or five guys talking about what Linux projects have succeeded, which have failed, and what we're going to try next. I've learned a lot in the past year, and I expect the listeners have as well, but we're always hoping to get more live participation. Rural areas like the Midwest are our target audience. The details of the Mumble connection are posted at linuxslugcast.com, and we always monitor the 3node.org IRC channel hash linuxslugcast while recording. And the feedback link, as well as the stream, is posted on the website. Thank you for your time and attention this afternoon, especially considering the caliber of talks running in the other two channels. I can be contacted at 5150 at com. Are there any questions?